Back in 2018, we noticed a trend of farm success stories emerging, and that's where the next generation was coming back to farming. So the average age of a farmer in the United States, according to the USDA reports, is about 59 years old. And the average age of our farmers is trending up around 10 years under that. It was exciting to see young, aggressive talent. It's time for conversations about our food and how it's grown on Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. Well, Farm to Table Talk talks about all kinds of products, but I'll tell you a, a product that I'm really intrigued with all the way from the farm to the table are chickens. I mean, if you know, if chickens were any more versatile than they are already and being able to fit different sizes and operations, farming operations, or, or actually different products too, from, uh, from the eggs and, and to the meat. What a, what a versatile product. The only thing they're lacking is you can't milk them. So if, if we, I don't know my guess, let's, let's get a milking chicken. Uh, you think that's possible Corwin heat wall? Well, you know, I, I think that would apply a level of genetic modification that would um, scare a lot of our consumers. So uh, I don't think that's possible. Oh, okay. 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 Well, I'm just, I, I, it's too bad. Too bad. It's the only thing they're missing. So Corwin Heatwall, you know, you've not only created a business around chickens and your own farming operation, but you're helping other farmers doing it too. And you're helping it connect with consumers that are particular about how their chicken is produced. We, we talk a lot about that. We talk a lot about how consumers care, are curious, and want their food produced a certain way. Uh, but you take it to another point. And, and let's fill in some gaps here, Corwin, because at one point, it started with you being a little kid on a farm and had some chickens and started doing your own farming and then figure out how you, you can kind of help put it together with customers and bringing other people into the business. Let's start at the beginning and that you're in Virginia. Why don't you explain where you are and what kind of a farm you grew up on? So I come from six generations of farming in the Shenandoah Valley, right in the, the middle of the Shenandoah Valley around Harrisonburg, Virginia, and grew up on a mid-sized dairy and poultry farm where, you know, you had the normal joys of the of farming lifestyle from a young child up at, you know, five to six years old. We were out there um, checking the birds, feeding the calves, milking the cows, doing the work. I mean, it's, it was a blessing in disguise to be taught responsibility at such a young age and then have that privilege to interact with the animals and the land so much over the years that that you become intimate with with the animals you know what they're thinking obviously they can't talk to you but but they actually can tell you um what they're thinking and what they need and and you know then we had the uh mindset of work hard play hard so we we would do a lot of farm chores and then we'd also take time to go fishing in a, a local stream or river or pond or and play basketball in the farm pond. So I just have a lot of fond memories of, of growing up on the farm. 
But when you were growing up, would there come a point where somebody would be telling you, now you're having a good time here, Corn, but uh, farming's hard. So maybe you ought to be thinking about doing something else when you grow up. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we knew by like 10 years old or so that farming was was hard and not for the faint at heart. Um, and, and farming is actually very complicated. There's when you when you're a farmer, you're your own small business owner. You have to understand how to run the books, uh, make it work economically. You know, not just are you just putting seed in the ground and, and watching something grow. The complexities of the agronomies of the soil and and animal health and things. It, it's very complicated, um, but it's also rewarding at a level that that draws the next generation to farming as long as farming can be economically viable. Now, all that didn't occur to you when you were a 10 year old kind of tugging along and, and helping out on chores and things like that. So at some stage, and I, I would imagine, you know, going to high school and everything, you might even run into guidance counselors and others say, well, you know, Corn, you could do something else, you know, <laughs> and and and, uh, and and yet you had the you must have had the bug. You think, you know what? No, that's where I'm going to end up. Or did did you have any diversions? Did you did you set off and say, I'm just I'm going to farm when I grow up uh, or did you take any sidetracks? So later, before I had uh, purchased my first farm, um, I knew that farming alone struggled to be economically viable as a career, as a long term career path. So I had um started some other small service-based businesses. Um, but I knew that because of my love for farming, I wanted my own farm. So in 2005, I purchased a mid-sized poultry farm and uh, operated that on the side of my two other service-based businesses. And you know, I had three young children at the time, but the farm is what we loved. If you ever ask the children, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? They want to go to the farm. We, we work hard, play hard. We would, we would uh, do the work hard for several hours and then we'd picnic or swim or, or do something um, fun. And it was, it always bugged me that farming could not be um, economically viable and sustainable as, as a career path that you really needed supplemental financial support to be able to have that lifestyle. And, and that, that's ultimately why we started Farmer Focus. And when you look at that and you're able to get a, a small farm going or mid-sized farm going, um, you, ha you have several options to think about. You got other livestock. You didn't necessarily need to make chickens a focus. And focus comes into here because you ended up calling your organization Farmer Focus, too. But... Uh, tell me about that. Was there any second thoughts? You think, well, I can raise some cows, I can raise chicken, or I can raise sheep, I can do something else. Um, but you made the decision that you were going to you were going to focus on chickens. How did that process go? I was always attracted to poultry farming in particular, and I, I don't really know exactly why. But um, you know, I just I enjoyed it more, and that's why the first farm I purchased was was a chicken farm. Um, and then with producing for the integrated companies, you know, some of the big ones there, there are some challenges in their systems. And that's the, the company owns the birds on the farmer's farms. They give the farmer the playbook. They tell them how to operate their farms. The farmers have very limited operational control. And the third big issue is that the uh, tournament style pay system that pits farmers against each other and um, 
So that's what we wanted to bring solutions to those three problems. You know, we, we have this saying here, a farm, a farm can't be green if you're in the red. So first farms have to be financially viable to be sustainable. And you think of the network of farmers and that make up a community If farms are struggling and going out of business. How resilient is that community going to be? And so we pondered that for years. How, what are we going to do to create a, a system that allows farms to be financially viable? And, and I kept hearing um, dozens of times, well, farmers can't start chicken companies, but I knew that there was a way to um, break through to where we could allow farming to be financially viable and sustainable. And that journey all started in 2012. You know, before that, I was back in your neck of the woods. Remember talking to somebody that was uh, used to be in the poultry business and, and and was unhappy in it because he had one of those arrangements with the large companies that basically he ended up being tied tied down because he had to have their building and their cages and their nutrition and you know their genetics and so forth and he was the caretaker and they kind of they ended up owning the chickens and everything and he went out of business eventually did something else but you know he was sad he wasn't he wasn't happy i don't know whether he was making enough money to pay the bills but he couldn't even go get an operating loan without having the company uh kind of go in with him to his local banker he lost all kinds of controls so that road was a, was a road that some, some farmers are saying, boy, I don't want to go down that road. So it sounds like what you're describing is you are coming to that conclusion. We're going to get to the point that uh, other farmers that you work with now came to similar conclusions, I guess. Exactly. And you described one of the, the big issues with the system as the vertically integrated companies, the big companies, they will subsidize a new farm's cost um, to to allow that farmer to be able to secure a loan with the bank because the cost of construction, the cost of entry is too great for the farmer to cash flow that on his own. So when the company subsidizes that and then pays that out over five or seven years, um, but yet the farmer has set up his farm on a 15 to 20 year mortgage, uh, what happens when that subsidized the subsidy runs out. You know the farmer's in trouble now, so they 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 make it just good enough to where the farmer can go to the bank and get the loan, but then they're not thinking about the forward years for the farmers. So what we did, we we based our pay to our farmers on what would allow a farmer without any subsidy from us to go to a bank and get a loan because their farm cash flows. And, and, and then pay all farmers the same. So a farmer with an older farm that gets paid the same can now afford to make infrastructure improvements out of cash flow and a new farm can afford to build and, and then have, you know, and, that, and then be uh, sustainable for generations. And that's why our mission statement is to promote and protect generational family farms. A generational word is, is really important because if farms aren't sustainable today and continually upgrading and investing in new technology, efficiencies, improving their infrastructures, there's an expiration date and that farm's not generational. Mm-hmm. You know, at some point when you're getting yourself started up, you had to, you had to, I think, 
start with, a, I don't know, like a blank sheet of paper, or I would have a whiteboard going, I suppose, and say, this is the kind of chicken farm I'm going to have. Um, you're going to decide I'm going to raise chickens, but then you've got to decide, like, you know, what's my setup going to be like? What's my feed program going to be like? What my genetics are going to be like? And, and, and then at some point, you also decide that you're going to go the organic route, too. But, but when you're just kind of getting started and making sense, tell me a little bit about setting that up and deciding what it's going to look like and how many chickens you think you might need to raise to have it be a viable enterprise to, the, to get started. Yeah, that's a great question and a long story, and I'll, I'll condense it for sake of time. Um, that started in 2012 when we ordered 300 chickens and certified those uh, chickens organic. And at that time, we just knew that we needed to um, do something on our own. And it needed to be niche enough that we wasn't competing in, in the markets that produce you know, millions of pounds a week, and it's all focused on pennies per pound. It needed to be a quality product that a differentiated customer is looking for. And so we was very naive. And in fact, when we ordered those first 300 chickens, we didn't have a clue what we were going to do with them. Not one of them was sold. Um, we just knew that we had to take a leap of faith. And fortunately, we found not just a home for those 300 chickens, but the need to go to one and then eat 2,000 birds a week. But we didn't have a processing facility. And... That was another huge uh, barrier to overcome. As a farmer, we needed to we needed to create processing capabilities. We needed to build a processing plant, and that was that was the massive leap of faith. Not just going out on our own, you know, with bra- breaking away from a contract with an integrator, where you know now you have to worry about the genetics and the feed and the feed rations and and how you're going to raise the birds and who's going to buy them and and who's going to truck them and and all of that uh, incredibly complex infrastructure. Um, But to create processing capabilities was a a step into a world of of unknown, but that was also going to allow us to partner with other farmers to produce uh, the level of meat that the processing facility would need to operate. And so, we went out and sat down with groups of poultry farmers. I knew a lot of them from previous business relationships. Some of them went to church, some of them were own family. And we just sat down at kitchen tables and discussed these problems, those key problems in the industry and how we could structure a partnership that would allow win-wins for farmers to thrive and allow a company to be successful. Wow. So would you be doing this like one kitchen table at a time that that um, you're going out and sitting down, sitting down with folks? And or did you put together some some meetings that have, you know, four or five or a room full of, of farmers that potentially were going to be growing chickens too with you? It was some of both. There was some kitchen tables where there was a couple people around the table and there was some chats that happened on old wood benches at the edge of a barn, just one-on-one. Um, but that's where you really, really glean some insights into the pains that, that farmers feel and how we could structure the relationship. So let's talk about relationships. So you've got your operation up and running. You've got a processing plant. You've got demand. And you're talking to other farmers that that looks good to them, too. And um, so they get an arrangement with you that they are going to be supplying us, you know, whatever number that you've agreed on. How does it how does that look? 
your agreement with with the farmers that are producing chickens? Yes, yeah, so we'll talk about the structure of that relationship and then and then flow into okay. answering questions. So most importantly, we solved for those three key issues. We we the farmers are allowed to own 100% of everything on their farm. That's very important. That and along with with allowing the ownership, we can extend operational control. And we just require the farmers to um, follow the certifications of Certified Organic, Humane, and Global Animal Partnership. And the, so the farmers, the farmers really feel empowered. And then we developed very clear and transparent pay terms that allow each farmer to know prior to the flock even coming to the barn what they're going to be paid for those birds based on current input costs. So they can really manage their finances and they can really plan. Um, and so, you know, starting off, it's it, there was a lot of trust involved. The first group of farmers um, just really leaned in. In fact, I didn't even have a contract. And they said, well, I, I trust you'll go pay me for these birds. And But they were so hungry for something new, something better, that they were willing to lean in with some faith and take a certain level of risk. Then, of course, we quickly uh, put some good contracts in place for protection for the farmer and the company. Um, and But as, as this model grew, word of mouth spread, and the waiting list of farmers just kept growing and growing and growing. And we have not solicited one single farmer to be on the waiting list. And today we're, we're partnered with 87 farms and we have over 125 unsolicited pre-qualified farms on a waiting list that are anxious to produce for a model that puts the farmers first. That's just a testament to the need for something different in the community. And that's a great, great story. And if they produce for you, are they typically providing a certain number? Does the average farm producing something every week or uh, that's that's being delivered to your to your plant? Um, what what's what's typical as far as their supply timing? So we need consistency to supply our customers a certain amount on a weekly basis. So we manage the, the flock cycles to where we always have the right flow of birds coming to our facilities. And um, the birds are typically on the farms for six and a half to seven weeks. And then we have an extended down period um, between flocks compared to most, which is three weeks. Plenty of time for the barns to air out, disease cycles to break, the farmer to get a break too from this heavy workload is also important. So that's typically a 10 week cycle um, from when the farmer uh, brings birds to the facility to the next time that they're brought to the facility. So we manage all the farms staggered so that we have a steady flow of birds. Okay. And then what about getting the birds in the first place? Do you help them line up the, the, the chickens they're bringing in? Yeah, an important part to the relationship is that we lean in and we manage all the necessary inputs that farmers need to be successful. Because an individual farmer alone does not want to bear the burden of, of trying to study genetics, you know, vaccination programs, rations, all the feed ingredients, where they're going to come from, and have the ability to negotiate it from a bulk perspective to where they will have the right prices for all these ingredients that they need to be successful. And then we need to be able to have a consistency uh, that we provide to our, our consumers. 
So we we manage all those relationships for the farmer. So they they really have the confidence and the peace of mind knowing that the right chicks are available when they need them, the right feeds available. We even go as far as to help all of our farmers with their organic certification. We have a certification specialist that goes out and sits down at the kitchen table for with a new farmer and and helps fill out this complicating paperwork that that is normally intimidating to a new farmer. And then next year, when their certification renews, we're back out uh, working with the farmer again to make sure the paperwork is right. It just gives the farmers a lot of confidence that that uh, this partnership is is structured in ways that that they're not going to be left high and dry with any of these key areas. Well, that's that would be a great service. I don't think I've heard of that before, of being assisting with that kind of certification process, because all of them to kind of get to the stage of what's required to be certified, they're going to be looking at the, the feed supply and whether or not there's access outdoors, because one of the competitors really for, um, I think when you get into the stores are talking about, say, cage-free, but cage-free can can still mean they're crowded into a great big building and can hardly move at all. And so when I, I assume you have a situation where you're checking that all of them can go outside, that, that it's, if they're uncomfortable outside for freezing weather or something else, they can go inside. But otherwise, you've got, uh, you've got an outside area available too with all those farms. That's a lot to keep track of. It is, and but we have um, staff that supports our farmers that visits each farm every week to make sure the farmers are feeling supported. If they have any technical questions, we can answer those. And that the farmers are following the standards that we have carefully chosen that we believe are right for animal welfare and, and making sure that that animal is comfortable and having a, a good life. And those include that outdoor access, having access to um, green pastures and natural light during the day, dark periods at night, floor quality, air quality, all of those things. And that's why uh, one of the reasons why we have the farm to table traceability on all of our packages, because today's aware consumer has asked for transparency. So not only do we bring transparency around the practices around animal welfare, we feel it's important that the consumers are able to meet the farmer that worked hard to produce their delicious food and get a glimpse of what it's like on a day in that farmer's life. You know, that story part is something that comes up all the time right now. And you mentioned early on when you were making this thing go that you were getting, you know, contracts and, and you were able to grow because you were running into customers that said, we'll take all you got and we could use more. Now that's an interesting process. And I'm wondering, Corwin, did did you go out and make those early calls yourself or were you uh, talking to retailers and getting that direct feedback of why they felt that they could use you in the marketplace? Because there's no shortage of people that will sell them chicken. Uh, there are some there are some pretty big companies, especially supermarkets and even uh, the, the restaurants, too. They they can. They can get on the phone and they can say, I need, you know, a couple truckloads or something like that, and they can find them. So I'm, I'm curious about those, uh, what you found as far as the demand and how much they were welcome you into that competitive marketplace. Yeah, we have been extremely well received. 
because of our brand being so aligned with what the consumer is looking for, with more transparency behind all of the stakeholders in the process, from the farmers, the animals, and the environment. But to re- refer to your question about the early days, you know, we was an entrepreneurial business starting up, and you know, the first months we were just happy that chicken was leaving the doors of the plant and that that they had a home. And really, uh, I filled a lot of shoes and a lot of shoes that I shouldn't be filling because I wasn't good at that many things, but you just had no choice. I mean, I was out helping catch the chickens at night, uh, helping on the processing line in the day and then in a sales meeting in the afternoon. And, you know, it, it was just everywhere. But Fortunately, we, we've been able to hire a lot of key team members that have allowed us to, to mature from an entrepreneurial business to, to a structured, metrics-driven organization that can, that can really align and build a brand, deliver quality and consistency. And when we started to build that, um, you know, that really built momentum in our ability to, to, uh, to not just tell our story, but, but deliver. I'm wondering if you've gotten feedback from consumers. You've changed the name from what you started and you call Farmer Focus. And you've got the product out there and you're developing a consumer base. What do you find in encouraging? Uh, uh, and, and maybe what are some of the signals you're getting from consumers as far as you're on the right track or, or any additional expectations that consumers might have? One area that consumers are starting to pay a lot more attention to is is kind of like this whole systems approach. How is the whole ecosystem affected in the process of growing my food? And they want to have transparency into all of those areas. You know, one consumer might really care about animal welfare, the welfare of the farmer, the environmental impact, how regenerative was the process. Um, and all of those things. So we, we are bringing a full systems approach to how um, we fit into that system, how our, each farm fits into that system, how it affects the community, how it affects the region, how it affects the nation, and really align with not just what is responsible and what's right, but what also is aligning with consumer consumer focus and preferences. Now, is almost all of your sales retail or uh, or how about institutional or, or restaurants? Primarily retail. Um, food service is is a category we cert, we provide some to, but retail is where is typical for branded uh, products. And that's where we are primarily. You know, we're, we're currently expanding our innovation into pre-season and very soon to launch some delicious grounds and uh, sauce ground sausages and patties and different things so um, we will that will start to allow us to branch into more food service categories now i would imagine a lot, most of what you're doing is fresh but you also do frozen as well wouldn't you we call it frozen by design for customers like uh, butcher box and and others that are direct to consumer um, to where we we freeze it for them so that they uh, can maintain the quality um, in their process because of the shelf life with fresh prohibits the the supply chain 
um, length that it takes to manage a direct-to-consumer process. So that's where we do some frozen, but um, the majority of our products are sold fresh. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm wondering about this whole story business because uh, I get it. I've heard it many times and, and believe it that consumers, a lot of consumers want to know more about how their food's produced. You're calling it certified organic, but but you only have a certain amount of real estate to work with on packaging or in stores. So, I mean, um, how how are you making your story available so that a supermarket chain that's taking farmer-focused chickens from you and all your other farmers um, can find out everything they want to know about how you're growing and who's growing and what's good about them? That is a that's a complicated question, and I'm not the marketing expert, but um, Catherine Tuttle, our chief marketing officer, uh, developed this marketing campaign and launched it last year, and it's still going on right now, and it's called Making Organic Mean More, because it's not just enough just to be organic, because organic standards cover the feed and, and some aspects of animal welfare but it doesn't touch on farmer welfare, environmental impact, and these other things, which organic does have a certain element of environmental impact that we believe is very important, but that's where we were messaging to our consumers uh, how, where we go above and beyond and the benefits of the structure of the partnership we have and how it affects the farmers financially and their welfare uh, through the animal and, and the environmental impacts because there is a very limited amount of real estate on a chicken package and you can't tell the full story. So um, that's where you have to be really strong in your messaging. And that I think that's one of the benefits of the um, farm to table traceability. Uh, we had over 70,000 farm visits last year where consumers uh, took the code on the package and went back and visited online, visited the farm, that the farmers that produced that for them. So they're getting a glimpse of what it means to go beyond organic when they visit the farm. Well, that's a good start. And all we got to do is take this podcast and you put on a QR code or something like that too, and let somebody, you know, be able to hear us have a conversation as they're driving home or driving up and deciding that what they're going to be going to be buying. You know, uh, I think it's a great model is what you've done. One of the things that occurs to me is that there's a lot of people that, first of all, a lot of people eat chicken. And, but then there's also more and more people that are saying, well, I might just try to grow a few chickens in the backyard. And there are also people that are trying to get into uh, agriculture and getting to farming. Sometimes they, they had a, had a job in the city that, they just got tired of it, didn't want to commute and get a small acreage or something. And one of the first things they think about are chickens. But one of the challenges there, there's a lot to learn to be able to do that, right? And there's a lot of obstacles, but they can't kind of get scale on their own. I mean, it, it seems to me that those folks that are either trying to grow their own or try to get a little bit bigger or get a small farming operation or so forth, they don't reach a point that it can provide a significant part of their income. 
So, Corin, it strikes me that the thing that you're setting up with all the farmers that are getting to your program is kind of a middle ground that they don't have to, on the one hand, sign up with an integrator, as you refer to, that's, that's, um, that they provide a building and everything is run by this big company that they're putting chickens through. But it seems like you're providing this kind of middle space where people can accomplish enough scale that's a significant enterprise contributing to the profitability and the durability, sustainability of their farm. Um, it's a different model to go your way. But, you know, again, it must be appealing to some people say, well, I just do it on my own. Well, you, you can't really quite get to what you need to do. And you're not going to get supermarkets to return your phone calls. Um, if, if you don't try to reach at least that sweet spot in scale. Did I have that right? No, you, you really nailed it. And that was, that was our problem. And uh, we could produce, you know, a thousand or two a week of delicious, beautiful, healthy chickens, but where are we going to get them processed and who's going to buy them? And, you know, there's just too many complications with it. And then, you know, a lot of the retailers require, you know, food safety certifications as well that prohibits a small provider from being able to create a partnership with a retailer. And so there, there's just so many barriers that farmers themselves face. So to make sure that we're empowering farmers, you know, we, we want all of our farmers to be their own strong, independent business that can thrive. And the majority of our farmers are successful enough that they they don't work off the farm unless they choose to. They are financially viable enough to have a living wage and be able to, to put their sole focus into, uh, into the success of their farm and the quality of the birds that they're growing. And so that that is a completely different approach than wanting someone to be um, you know, beholden to you long term. The difference is you know, focusing on empowering them. Of course, there's nothing wrong with working off the farm because uh, anymore, though, some people feel that's the only way to farm, uh, that that there's going to have to be in a family. Uh, one of the family members got to go have a job in town and to be able to get insurance and some other things because the farm can't quite support them. So it, 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 it is great to be able to have systems that are establishing a way for people to be able to support themselves and be able to have adequate scale. They want to work in town, fine. But if the farm can grow to the point that it supports them, even better in many cases. Yep. And we, we're developing programs that we're very excited about, like the Beginner Farmer Credit Initiative, to where you know there is people in the community that dream about becoming farmers, but they can't break the barriers of securing the capital that they need and the support they need to actually become a farmer. So these programs would help finance those, those portion that the bank would not be willing to cover that would allow them to become farmers. And so we can continue to build out the farming community, add diversity and social impact with, with programs like that that will just continue to build on the resiliency of a farming community. You know, imagine yourself and a bunch of these other farmers have got maybe family some of them, they're looking ahead. I'm saying, I wonder if there's a future in farming. I wonder if I can grow up and keep this thing going. And um, well, how do you view that? I mean, when you look at the at the future for where you are right now, I mean, what 
what looks intriguing what looks um, you know has the most potential that you see coming down the road or is there any anything that that worries you about um, uh, that has to be tackled in the, the near term future to be a future in this kind of an operation back in 2018 we noticed a trend of farm success stories emerging and that's where the next generation was coming back to farming so the average age of a farmer in the United States, according to the USDA reports, is about 59 years old. And the average age of our farmers is trending up around 10 years under that. Um, and so it was, it was exciting to see young, aggressive talent in their mid-20s and things coming back to the farm, taking over the family farm. And I have to tell you one quick story, because this was just special to me. It's where a farmer... Uh, had he had left the family farm to pursue a career in law enforcement because the farm just was not financially viable, did not have a future. But after his dad had switched over to produce for us, after a few years of his son seeing what, what sustainable farming can be, um, he called his dad one day from the patrol car. What's important is his dad was soon, he was aging and having some health complications and it wasn't going to be long and he was going to need to sell the family farm. And uh, he called his dad one day from the patrol car and said, dad, I'm coming home. And he said, it was just silence. And he said, aren't you going to say anything? But his dad was choked up with the tears hitting the kitchen floor because his dream of the farm that he had poured his whole life into, that farm staying in the family was going to live and he came back to the farm. He's been on it for several years now. The farm is thriving. It has a future. And it's those stories that are special to us as, as we see the next generation coming to the farm. The next generation is the future of farming. The next generation has a, even has a more creative mindset about embracing regenerative practices and, and technologies that continue to build on efficiencies and, and lower environmental impact and things. So, you know, as far as the, the big challenges that we need to tackle, it's continuing to think. It, it, it's, a, it's a systems way of thinking. It's, it's continuing to ensure that we are on the cutting edge of technology, researching, trying that technology, making it available to our farmers, adopting it. Our farmers are efficient. Our farmers are making more money, raising better birds. We can offer better birds to our consumers. The next generation gets excited about that, and this and the system, the cycle just continues. Then, boy, that's a great picture. I can just see it, and I get and you're filling a need that's really important. Now, let's just kind of wrap up here because Corwin, um, farmer focus. So, if people want to know more about farmer focus about your program and ultimately even uh, consumers or want to know whether or not in you know, supermarkets anybody in their area have have chickens available that your program's involved with but point us in the right direction how do they find out more about farmer focus and what you're doing well i Easiest way is to go to the website and read about what we're doing. And there is a store locator on the website. So if you live on the eastern half of the United States, uh, your our products should be available within a reasonable distance, if not already in your 
in your hometown and just click on a store locator and it will show where our products are available in stores near you. Well, let me ask you this, though. What about if you're farmers and you're not in your area? Can they call you and say, hey, we want to get something going like this in the Rocky Mountains or something? Are, are you are you sharing ideas with uh, other farmers that are trying to get this this kind of stage up and running? Well, we we always share ideas because our mission is to promote and protect generational family farms. That means that we can help other companies and other farmers shift what they're doing. We're all aiding to our mission. Um, but that's, you know, we've received phone calls from farmers all over the country and that are anxious to produce for a model like ours. And we hope that one day we have multiple operations across the country and can partner with thousands of farmers to uh, continue to deliver to consumers what they're looking for while being able to um, bring this level of opportunity to farmers. You know, Corwin Heatwall, the farmer focus, uh, you're doing good work. You're, you're taking care of consumers and you're also helping farmers and giving a vision of a system kind of approach that could, could work for a lot of people, maybe solve many, many, many different kinds of problems and great opportunities. I want to thank you for being on Farm to Table Talk. Great story. Thank you, Roger. Appreciate the opportunity. You've been listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. 